Hello, all, and thank you, as always, for downloading the Tully Show podcast. Can you hear my daughter taking a bath in the background? This is how the pros do it. Our dear friend Mark McGrath will be joining me momentarily, but first, in case you don't know, I wanted to make sure you do know I have just launched my very own Patreon page. As most, if not all of you probably know, The Jason Ellis Show is no longer on SiriusXM. We will be relaunching as a podcast very soon. Still ironing out the details, but that is a thing that will happen. In the meantime, we've all got our individual Patreons. Jason's got his. Kevin has his with his Mad Scientist Party Hour. And now I have mine. If you join my Patreon for five bucks a month, you'll get a couple times a week a Tully Time podcast. Maybe you've already heard. I've posted two of these already. It's just me cracking the mic and having some fun with some incredibly stupid, inessential news of the day. If a man gets shot at and then has his car set on fire in a date in a cemetery gone wrong, you will hear about it first on Tully Time. Then there's a $10 tier where I'll be doing like a twist on recently released songs that I've done for years on the Jason Ellis Show. As you know, I invented playing music on the radio. I'll be doing songs that is stuff we would never talk about on the Ellis Show, stuff that's a little bit more in my lane, the good, the bad, the indie. And then, yes, as promised, $100 tier, life coaching. I can fix you. Anyway, I've rambled on enough. Join my Patreon immediately. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Thank you in advance. And now, with no further ado. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape during week 39 of quarantine from a lavish state-of-the-art home studio in my eight-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California, boasting a partially obstructed view of the smog-shrouded urban sprawl of the City of Angels. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, once again, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120 Weekends on the 90s on 9 on Sirius XM. Hello and welcome back, our dear friend Mark McGrath. Mr. Mike Tolley, feels like home. When I just see you on the screen, I hear yeah. your voice, it just feels like home. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, it feels like home for me as well to be broadcasting from home. <laughs> Spit out my water. <laughs> Literally from home. Just literally uh, amidst the dirty laundry. There's a very home. There's just, a homey feeling to being in my own filth. It feels like a John Hughes film when I'm watching you on the thing and we're talking about like 80s bands uh-huh. and, uh, you know, you're in a bedroom with like posters on it, albeit, you know, Pokemon posters. <laughs> albeit, yeah, an Empire Strikes Back puzzle. Yeah. It doubles as wall art. We'll we'll qualify again. It's not your room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. Uh, (laughs) So, how have you been? What's new? It's been a minute. Yeah, you know, just trying to get through the holidays here. And it's like, I heard you say day, what, week 39 of this thing? That's the actual real number. That's the first time I've been making up stupid numbers the whole time. And I actually counted them last night. That's how long this has been. Feels longer, doesn't it? It does, yeah, because yeah, I know you were saying week eighty six. Yeah. I'm like, wow, and I've been believing it. It <laughs> feels like that, uh, and it's crazy when you see the numbers uh, higher than ever. Hospitals back to capacity. I, 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 I don't know, dude. It's like, it's like I, I, I understand it's pandemic, but like knowing less and 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 being worse off than we started. I don't think that was the plan nine months ago. You know what I mean? So I know there's a huge political, you know, hot potato involved in all this, but. 
we failed at so many levels in controlling this thing. It's, it's depressing a little bit, especially for what I did. I mean, not to be personal, but the live entertainment business, yeah. they're talking about wiping 2021 from the schedule. I, I mean, I almost like lost my mind when I heard that. I'm like, well, Merry Christmas to me. Wait, 2021? You know? I thought we were back, baby. No, nah, baby. We'll have to see what this vaccine does. <laughs> Why did everybody turn into telly <laughs> But uh But there, the tours, there's not a tour going out. Yeah. There might be a few Vegas residencies, one-offs like Zucchini Fest uh, and, and, you know, and city shows and stuff like that. But touring... They have, they're having such a hard time figuring out the liability uh, aspects of that. So 2021 has not been figured out. Don't let anybody lie to you. I, I'm in the business. There is no set tours happening. You might see them on their, their schedule. And God willing, they, they, they happen. But the likelihood is, is pretty rough. These one-off shows are their most uh, likely to happen. And they're doing drive-in shows right now. I did a drive-in show at the Beach Boys you did. Uh, a couple weeks ago, which is a lot of fun. Did people, so, did people, which is great. Did people beep their appreciation? Absolutely. And you go like this, like, you know, instead of, you know, put your hands in the air, you, you, you beep on beep on fake beeping a horn. So that, that's the new, like, you know, lighter, you know, uh, act like you're beeping a horn and they really do beep their horns. And it was just fun to be back on stage again, see the lights, see all that it takes a second to get used to it. Uh, but you're still in a weird drive in in the middle. It's in the round. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 In a lot of ways, you know, socially and professionally, this year has been about settling and, when you find yourself performing to a sea of cars in a parking lot and going, "Oh, we're back," you know just how yeah, you know just how far we've really fallen. But I truly do believe that the the light is at the end of the tunnel, and it's been a very rocky road the way that we've gotten here. But I, I don't know. I, maybe I just have to be optimistic for 2021. But I am optimistic for 2021, and I just hope, for God's sake, everybody can play it safe as they can because help might yeah. help might be right around the corner. They're they're jabbing people in the UK as we speak. So just hold the which is hold great, the board, you know. By osmosis, so I hope I pick up on your optimism. You know, I went through COVID. My family had it. Yeah. it. Sucks. If anybody's still on that, it's not real thing. It sucks. Sucks ass. We were very careful too. Um, luckily, we got out of it. You know, without it, it just was a really bad flu for us, and we were like sapped of our energy for about a week. But uh, you don't want this thing. Can I can I ask? Like, were you ever in a situation where you thought that you might need to like go to a hospital or anything like that? No, but the source that we got it from did, which was scary because we felt that that's, we obviously had the same strain. Uh, they had a different set of circumstances, a little older, uh, and, uh, you know, let's just say didn't do cardio every day. Um, so we were a little concerned about that, but the pre-existing conditions on this other individual, uh, like I said, COVID is very subjective. You're going to go through what you go through. And... You could be a runner who's 38 and never had any conditions and it can affect you if you die three days later, or you can be 85 years old with every condition there is and you barely get any symptoms. So it's, it's a very strange beast and very hard to contain because of that, you know? Uh, but luckily, you know, never got worse from our family than all of us felt really, well, me and my wife felt really, really like, like, like I've the worst part of the flu for a couple of days. My, my son got it, never had any symptoms. And my daughter never got it. And she lived in a COVID Petri dish for a month and she never got it. Um, so never got really worse than a bad flu, but you lose your taste, that you lose your uh, senses, your taste, your smell, and a lost energy for like a week. I, I don't want to do anything, you know, so it's uh, not a fun trip. Right. Well, in, in that case, let's take a trip to a different, simpler time pre-COVID. 
Well, first of all, let's take a let's take a trip back to uh, something I saw on markmcgrath.com, your website. I guess it's been what like uh, how many years since you were on the cover of Rolling Stone, that iconic shirtless hunk of a man cover of of Rolling Stone? Uh, who's counting? 21 years and 9 months. <laughs> what struck me, what struck me and I'm sure you're well aware of this is there's uh Sugar Ray, the sweet uh the sweet smell of success with your mug there. There's Crosby Stills Nash and Young yet another reunion, Everlast back from a heart attack and then Web Music, the best free sites. This was cutting edge what the kids need to know about from their number one hip source for music information, Web Music. And they were tipping us off already. We didn't even see yeah. it. You know, the labels that pay for Rolling Stone are thinking, look at this little cute thing. Oh, we'll be cool with the kids, you know. This little thing that was going to come eat them and take that magazine down and the industry down. And not 20 years later, five years later, four yeah, years later. They did later. it again. They did it again. They would have had the Death Star looming over your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> the Grim Reaper, like, over my shoulder. It's so funny, dude. That's so great. I mean, how... How hardcore did the record companies, the industry, not see it coming when they promoted it on the biggest magazine in yeah. the industry? I mean, that, that, that is, that's, that's the pomposity of the labels. That's how bloated the whole infrastructure had become. They didn't even see this Trojan horse coming in to destroy it, much like the coronavirus. Yeah. Let me give you a 30-year-old hot take. I finally watched i guess i made it through about half of the original decline of the western civilization part one mm -hmm. the penelope spheris documentary about the los angeles punk scene around 80 81 and now when i was a kid one of the things that really stoked my interest in hair metal was decline of the western civilization part two which has got you know famously uh chris holmes from wasp pouring what may or may not have actually been vodka all over his house while his mom's like chris go to bed and <laughs> And uh, so Ozzy Osbourne hammered making eggs for the children we came to know, you know, later on as, <laughs> as Kelly and Jack and maybe even the other one she was too young to opt out of being in the Osbourne family <laughs> Amy. on camera at that point and Faster Pussycat performances and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh, yeah, this settles it. This fucking rules. I, I, I'm selling my soul to this thing. Where do I sign up? Not knowing that that movie was made essentially to give those bands enough rope with which to hang themselves to show just how ridiculous and vapid that entire world, that entire scene of Los Angeles rock and roll music had become. I didn't get it. I just thought it was, I didn't love all the bands, but the world was like, I want to hang out on the strip. I want to be somewhere where you can't tell the guys from the girls where people are flyering left and right. And I'd always received the wisdom that that's the one that makes fun of the bands because look at how much LA music had changed in, I mean, it's staggering. Things don't change that fast anymore. Six or seven years from when LA music was real and hardcore and bands were artists and had something to say. And man, I just watched Decline of the Western Civilization Part 1 and those bands are every bit as ridiculous as the metal bands in Part 2. If you wanted to make, like, Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2 is right up there with Spinal Tap for nailing <laughs> the parody. The self-parody is almost as good as the intentional parody of Spinal Tap, but if you wanted to make a Spinal Tap of hardcore punk, 
you don't have to. It's already been made. Darby crash with his tarantula trailing, you know, crawling all over him, and his girlfriend with the ridiculous braids in her hair. With all due respect, I'm sure she's iconic in her own right. Talking about how funny it was. Sometime some guy rolled off their ceiling and died at a house party, and they all posed for photos with him. And I don't care. I mean, if you die, you die. Like yeah. it's it's every bit as ludicrous. Did you, did you notice in that scene, Darby's making eggs too? I think the Aussie thing was a shout out to Darby in that. Just just my quick observation. I uh, did. It did occur to me. It's funny. Maybe that's what it was. What struck me about that was maybe more of a Penelope Spheres thing of feeling like she got something out of people when she talked to them the morning after. Maybe there's like a, a reality. Well, it's a homey thing. It, it's, it's a, a reality and a vulnerability. Do you catch people when they're having their their, their morning coffee? You get to something. You, you get away from the artifice because you're you're co- comparing and contrasting. These are these people on stage at their biggest, their broadest. And then here's them, you know, scratching their butt and putting the percolator yeah. on. It's a relatability. You know, the night before he's, you know, cutting himself over the glass and going and barfing on people. Next morning he's making eggs going, hey, you like your sunny side up or scrambled? You know, so there is that, which yeah. I thought was a great juxtaposition of showing, you know. Now, it, it's funny you say this, like I'm a little older than you. When Decline yep. came out, nobody was laughing. No, you I know. know. Punk, rock, punk rock back then was scary. And yep. these were all kids that were getting preyed upon, picked upon. It was a very small percentage of the music community. Right? We know punk rock now is this big, gigantic monolith, you know, uh, that, 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 that's, that's uh, commercially viable and has become, you know, it's become classic rock and roll. Green Day is classic rock and roll. Let's call it what sure. it is. You know, uh, so back then it was scary. So I understand what you're saying, but punk rock back then was, was made up of those type of people. Real scary people on the fringes, you know, the, the jock punk of Southern California was starting to infiltrate LA a little bit. That, that, that was shot, I think, in 79, because Darby, Darby died in 80, I believe. Yeah. Um, um, and so that was shot in 79. Um, and, and that was um, that was early punk rock. No one knew it was going. It was still dangerous. You'd walk down the street, get your asses kicked. All the shows were sort of DIY, bootleg shows. So, I mean, though. You know, you look back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It looks ridiculous, but they were living in it. It was real. You know, um, it, but when you look at a band like X, I mean, X was so cool in that band. And that, remember X? X was perfect in that, I, I thought. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, this might be that we may have finally found the clear generational cleave between you and I. I think you really maybe had to have been there. Here's a question. Is there, uh, like, I find this very, very interesting. Okay. So music, some of it ages poorly, some of it ages it extremely well. It's timeless. It feels like it could have been recorded that morning, but I find music videos are so funny because I'll watch it from the 80s where the music to me is timeless and the way that the band was dressed and carrying themselves and their mannerisms and the little subplot the director put in, it aged a week and a half after yeah. the thing came out. Right. It's possible that... Like, like, cause I'm trying to think of a, a music documentary or footage that I've seen of somebody from the past where they didn't seem faintly ridiculous. You know, if I watch Woodstock, I think you had to be there. The hippies now seem fairly ridiculous. Even the musicians that you like, when you just see them hanging out, they don't seem nearly as cool as the, I mean, maybe Jimi Hendrix seems cool, but I don't know yeah. about, I don't know about Joni Mitchell. And I'm not saying that to pick on her. And, you know, I watched the, what is the the documentary with the Stones? Is it Paint It Black? Where they had their, they hired the Hells Angels as security and things yeah. to a predictable turn for the worst. And Mick Jagger does not come across well 
in that at all. I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe that's just the nature of the beast. Maybe, maybe the music is the only thing that does age well. Which is interesting, you know, because what happens with the music is you don't see music grow old. There is no physical component to it. Obviously, there's a physical component to human beings growing old. And when you're young, you do stupid things. You have a different energy. And, and, and like as you get older, it's easier to look back with sort of this jaded uh, human experience. Because, like, you know, you look at Woodstock, Woodstock to me, that, that looks like a parody. Hey, man, we're all just out here living in like the peace love. But that was their thing, dude. They yeah. really they bought into it then. I mean, how different are you now than when you were 20? I mean, the way I think is a lot different. And the things I did were always stupid and things I said were idiotic, you know. So I think music is for the young. So when it's happening and scenes are certainly happening, it's being documented. I mean, how many old documentaries about musicians do you see that are that interesting? Not a lot. You know, yeah. here's a, you, you know what I mean? So it's like it's, it's a young man's game. So you do young, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes type things. It, it's it's kind of built to be a, a, sort of the exuberance of youth, which will age poorly always because with age comes wisdom. You know what I mean? It's like the naivety of youth. You do stupid things. And, you know, when, when Lemmy's the voice of reason and the decline part two, you know, you know, you got some good stuff there. You know what I mean? Yeah, this scene has gone off the rails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the greatest thing in the world, and I know Penelope Spears set Lemmy up for like, he's sitting up there in those, you know, Daisy Duke jeans and one of his balls is hanging out. <laughs> yes. You know, back to him downtown LA is like in, in the distance. He's smoking a cigarette, got that jean uh, jacket on. And then Penelope's like, so Lemmy, what do you think of all these pretty boy heavy metal bands like Poison and and, you know, uh, rad and all that. And he goes, more power to him. Wish I was pretty. And I'm like, that's the greatest answer he could have ever said. You're waiting for him to destroy the bands. Oh, it sucks. It's not my scene. I'm Lemmy. I'm bikes. I'm a biker. He just said, more power to him. I wish I was pretty. And I'm like, that is the greatest answer of all time. That was one of my, it's my favorite moment in that documentary. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and rewatch that. Hi, highly recommended if people are not familiar with Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. It, it feels just as far away now as um, as the first one does. They're both time capsules from a, a distant, distant era to which I can now. <laughs> in well, which one aged better relate. to you? To me, the first one aged better. I mean, because because like. Obviously, it was the original. It, 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 I don't know. I mean, there's still, you're still, people still look like that. You know, there's still like a punk ethic that you look like some of these folks. Okay. Um, aesthetically, you know, aesthetically, the hair metal thing is just utterly ridiculous. No, that's true. Right. Somebody from, from Decline One walked past you on the street on Melrose, you probably wouldn't bat an eyelash if a hair that's metal, correct. if, if the singer of London, Nadir de Priest, <laughs> came by. Right, right. Yeah, that guy's that guy's causing a ruckus everywhere he goes. Do you know London is still in existence and playing? That's all I have to say to you. London That's, is still performing. Nadir yeah. is still carrying the London flag. And you know, yeah, Nikki Six, mm -hmm. original member of London. I don't know. No, I know, they're the Menudo of hair metal. Everybody <laughs> everybody was in London and London never That's got amazing. London never got a shot. You know what's so amazing about that when you talk about hair metal? How quickly, like you say, the music ended and the aesthetic ended. Yeah, you know, man. like, and, and and people always say, well, Nirvana didn't, you know, didn't really end hair metal because, you know, it kind of, they signed too many of the same bands and it kind of just, you know, no, no. Nirvana absolutely put a stake in the heart of that thing. Was it yeah. kind of, you know, uh, you know, recycling itself? Yes, but there's an absolute demarcation 
date when it, the aesthetic and the music ended. And you realize ended. you realize that London had finally gotten their deal. At that point, they were just known as <laughs> Dupree's. Well, like from CMC International or somebody. Yeah. But L- London, I think it was on a major. They were really? they were just they were just called Dupree's. Yeah, you know, after the lead singer. But make no mistake, it was London after toiling after being the farm system for every band that came out of L.A. for fifteen years. They finally got their deal just, uh, again, with the Death Star looming over their shoulder. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah. Uh, look I it up. Can you imagine? I mean, you, you fight your whole time. You're fighting on the trenches. You're going through all those uh, flyer wars on the strip. And you yeah. just wait a while for the good strip and for the good timing and to get the right deal. And then your timing was just off. Yeah. You know, your music wasn't off. You weren't off. Just the timing was off. I don't know if I could live without it. You know, because Tough had a real cup of coffee up there. You know, a cup of coffee. They they signed to Atlantic. You know, they had a video. They had major budgets. They were ready to go. They were the next one in the pipeline. And literally, the door went, whoop, no thank you. I mean, that, that, that'd be a hard pill to swallow. They were right there, man, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Actually, I want to uh, uh, bring up our topic for today <laughs> with a song. It's a topic. There is a topic. Yeah, this is one I've been wanting. God, I have such a long list of things that um, I want to talk to you about. Finally have the time. Um, and uh, I was thinking of a, a song from that exact same era, the early 90s, probably like 91. And as soon as I thought of the song, I realized there was a whole topic for a show. And this topic is songs for a cause. Songs <laughs> that were made most often by groups of, you know, all-star groups of musicians <laughs> for a cause. Um, These are like collaborations of the best musicians and the best, hugest celebrities with the best of intentions, more often than not making some of the worst music ever recorded. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Of course, the, the gold standard, the, the plate bearer, the, the, uh, the, 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 the torch bearer, if you will, we are the world, which is the, you know, which is, wait, wait, that's what you're talking about, right? And that's exactly what I'm other. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is the, you know, We Are the World, everybody knows. There's an amazing documentary about the making of We Are the World, watching all of these artists get together and then the weird, like, dynamics between, like, Bob Dylan and Huey Lewis and, and the insecurities about people recording the, the harm. Like, you go high, I go low. Oh, I don't think I can do that. And it's like, you know, it, it's like Cindy Lauper's got the most amazing voice in the world. It it really shows everybody's insecurities at rock stars who are at the top of their game because you were not invited to that party if you were a multi-platinum international superstar during the We Are the World recordings. Very right. fascinating. No, yeah, like what gets lost in the shuffle because it's a pretty forgettable, horrible, disposable Michael Jackson song sung by a bunch of singers that, is that they're was never and will never again be that collection of superstar talent on one song and just sort of the the audio dopamine rush that you get from every single line the singer comes in and it's not just like oh that's a line of the song and that's a nice melody when they everyone brings their little shtick and you go oh yes. that's oh that's the yes. Huey Lewis thing oh there's the Willie Nelson thing oh there's the Cindy Lauper thing and Cindy Lauper to me is is the the highlight of that she manages yeah she yeah manages, yeah yeah you yeah. know she did that? So she manages awesome. to get as much of herself, but without being over the top, you know, because it's also, it's easy to blow it when you have one line to make too much of it. And she's, sure. she's, she's just right. Um, you can't so, yeah. be shicky. You know, you got to sell you. And she went for something gnarly that could have backfired and it worked. It worked hardcore. Yeah. And of course it was incredibly successful. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm going to do these 
in a weird oh, really sort of quick way. before you go, I just yeah, for Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan and his part made everybody cleared everybody out of the room. Now, there's only one person in the universe that could have done that then. Michael Jackson's in that room. Yeah. You know, I think we could let Michael stay, but like, you know, Lionel Richie, uh, you know, I, they just, you, you know, the people that are in that room. He cleared everybody out of there to sing his part. It's just laying. Yeah. It's saving our lives. Should we make a better day? Just you. He got his little Bob Dylan in there too, but it works. It works, and so, and and it, when you see him in the uh, the sort of the police lineup of them all singing, and he doesn't know the words, he's going, he's kind of looking around, like, what am I doing here? It's so Bob Dylan, it's perfect. I just had to get that out. It's Uncle so Bob. Perfect. You know, it's funny because I listen to, and we'll continue to listen to the eighties on eight on Sirius XM uh, pretty consistently, and for maybe the biggest song of the 80s, if not a top 10 song of the 80s, that song does not live on as a nostalgia track in any kind of rotation. It was an event. It was not a song. You would think people might care to hear the biggest song of the pinnacle decade of pop music featuring every star of the era again, and apparently there's no appetite for it. Yes, it's very... Very intuitive and something I never thought of. Why do you never hear that song anymore? Obviously, all the proceeds went to a good cause. Yep. You know, I don't know if that cause is still up and running. I imagine it is. No, no. So Ethiopia why, now, why? Mark. Ethiopia on top of the world. Yeah, doing great. I watched 90 Day Fiance. I, I think they, they could use some help. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, it, like, look, it's a schmaltzy song, but there's plenty of schmaltzy 80s you know, adult contemporary songs that get played. Yeah. And one that you know so well and probably brings back a lot of nostalgic memories. I'm shocked, like you said, it gets no When's the last time you heard it without having to seek it out? I That's mean, right. you know, never. You never hear that. And like you said, it was probably one of the top 10 most played songs of the 80s. Had to have been. Yes. You know? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little bit more on that in a minute. We'll start with... There's one or two songs that I think you would point to as the beginning of this idea that rock and pop music could be, you know, more than just something to give the kids something to dance to, that the musicians realize their own power. And, you know, John Lennon famously said that the Beatles were were bigger than Jesus, meaning that he had more influence over the youth of Britain and America than Jesus did, which was undoubtedly true at the time. And this is a couple of years after well, he said go, that. didn't go over too well in the South here in no, America. No, 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 no. People, <laughs> people get a little touchy when you bring up the J-Man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, right. they were, the Beatles were canceled for about three days, and then they uh, retracted that. Quickly. Right, so this song is actually not technically, well, it's not the Beatles, even though he was still in the Beatles, and it's not technically John Lennon credited to the Plastic Ono band, I think. Of course, everybody knows this. So, yes, Give Peace a Chance, recorded in a room. It's It sounds like it, and that's what it is, that wherever it was where they're doing their bed in for peace. So the song that got me thinking about this general subject, I swear, I'm like the only person on earth that remembers this. I'm looking at a YouTube link to this song. It has 
4,442 views, and I personally put about three of them on there in the last 24 hours. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I was thinking, oh man, we forget about these songs. They have so much celebrity talent on them, but the songs are so often disposable that they get forgotten, like We Are the World in some way sort of is, or they never even get noticed in the first place. And I googled it the best way i could think of explaining what i was looking for and immediately found a list from rolling stone magazine and i'm working exclusively from that list because they hit all the ones that i was thinking of and a couple that i wasn't except for the one that gave me the original idea and i have a feeling that you will remember this i don't know how many i probably won't know this dude Four thousand views i don't know okay if rolling stone didn't have it this was this was a big hit song when i was in seventh grade um, just as the Gulf War was breaking out, and a new well, I was thirty then, so a you know, new generation <laughs> of rock and roll activists decided to flex their philanthropic muscle and bang out this ditty right here. Is this hearing aid? What we're talking about? Everybody's talking about civil war, revolution. I'm a getting no solution. I we facing Vietnam. We don't want to drop the bomb. All we are saying. Uh, <laughs> like James Ingram right there sneaking in there. <laughs> oh, dude, even better. Just a little a little dollop of Michael McDonald on the end there. Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald. I know it. I have heard yeah. it. I know there's uh-huh. rappers in it. And I and I I don't know what the cause is though, you know? It was I think it was we were protesting the, the Gulf War. They were ramping up to the first Gulf War, and this was a bunch of left-wing radical musicians saying we just like the Beatles we want to give peace a chance can't we can work it out basically and uh Yoko Ono I don't know if she actually spearheaded that but she might have she's uh-huh. involved in that she's in the video it's her thing the the peace choir and that 1991 February 1st 1991 version of give peace a chance was produced by Lenny Kravitz let me tell you some of the names involved with this um a who's who of pop stars of the era adam ant a little bit past his sell-by date but he's in there. <laughs> we we heard a little sebastian bach of skid row we heard the chorus from terence trent darby wow. flea flea and john frusciante peter gabriel kadeem hardison of a different world fame bruce hornsby al Jarreau, cindy lopper apparently in there ll cool j mc hammer Little Richard, Duff McKagan, Alana Miles, Michael McDonald, et cetera, et cetera. All they were saying, again, was give peace a chance. God, huge, gigantic names. Only Yoko could put everybody, all those people together. That's right. And only 4,000 views. I mean, look at just on a name alone by either one of the people you mentioned, there should be 100,000 views. Do you know what I mean? Just out of curiosity. You never know with YouTube. I click it in, it comes up. There might be another version yeah, of that. Yeah, no, you're right. It right. has a million on it, but... It's, as I say, I got this from Rolling Stone and they didn't remember that this happened. That's insane because that, that's like, I forgot it happened. I remember yeah. hearing it for maybe a hot minute. I think yes. MCV gave it a, a couple nights on the video and said, we can't, uh, we're losing advertising. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just, it, I think it, I remember it came and went as fast as it came and went. You, you know what I'm saying? It definitely did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. So we've talked about 
we are the world, and that's part of the motherload of this movement because, of course, it wasn't just We Are the World. There were a number of songs that were all up in the trying to provide aid to famine-stricken Ethiopia uh, movement, and I tried to figure out the timing on these. I don't believe We Are the World was the first, right? I think they were the copycat of Band-Aid. I think you're, I mean, it's kind of what comes first there. Do they know it's Christmas or We Are the World, huh? Yeah. Um, I want to say, boy, that's that, that's tough. I don't know. It's the same time. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm picturing the aesthetic of everybody. Uh, I can recall. I can recall asking for and receiving. We used to get very small presents for Easter. I can recall uh, getting the forty-five single of both for Easter, whatever year those came out. So they were right on. They were right on the heels of each other. So I want to say they almost came out simultaneously because when right. I watched the documentary, I think it was filmed in November. I remember it says it on the thing. So there might have been some like overlap of the two, yeah. but clearly. The better song, a, a classic that endures today, is Do They Know It's Christmas? I mean, it See, is... It's oh, crazy. No, 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 Mark. I absolutely 100% agree with you. I think it is sort of passed into popular canon now that, well, the song was a piece of shit, but it was for a good cause. I fucking love that song. It's a great song. Dude, I dare you to not to hear it this year in the holidays. You're going to hear that Mariah Carey song and yeah. Last Christmas. You can guarantee to hear those three songs because it's a good song. It's a great song. People love it. And, and talk about one up each other, like in, in the vocal performance, you know, when they get the Bono's, well, tonight, baby, you could know Bono's like channeling every bit of religious imagery he has to hit those notes. And yeah. it's just a great song. And you have, you have really cool people spearheading it. Bob Geldof, Midge yeah. Gurr, you know, yep. guys that were like very great songwriters. And and where where we had the world was like, dare I say, a little more commercial mainstream a little bit of the velvito over it a little more edge to the uh you know the band-aid version so i think purpose. for me that's what sort of cemented that was like a, a big crossroads of my t just musical taste is i think i got that if i'm and i hate to just be the knee-jerk anti-america guy I, I love america I, I truly do i believe it's the greatest country on earth but when it comes to popular entertainment too often it's just more is more, bigger is better. It's it's saccharine, it's slathered in butter, and it's without nuance. And that's what we are the world was. Whereas I was like, you know, I think if if um you change the lyrics of Do They Know It's Christmas, I still like this song. Uh, I think totally. I kind of like I think I like how English people make pop music at their in their in their pure DNA, at least in the 80s. I wouldn't say it anymore. Then, then I, then I like how Americans um, would choose to. It's, it's just so funny. They had the, they had the exact same school project. And same here's thing. What, here's what America, American pop came back with, and here's what UK pop came back with. And mm, I got it. I've learned something here. Bob Geldof's been going around for the last year or so saying that Live Aid, Band Aid ruined his life. Why? Because he's like he became I was so a, associated with that he couldn't go back to his other. Yeah, he said I was basically I was basically Saint Bob, and it took all of my all, all of my life. And he's like, I was a you know he was a singer of a band, Boomtown Rats, and that song, Do They Know Is Christmas? I was hoping to find a demo of the original. I don't know that it exists or has been released, but that was just a song he'd been working up with different lyrics 
for Boomtown Rats, and then he had this idea, wanted to do something, happened to run into three other big people, and one of them was like Simon Laban, and once they were all on board, instantly he's like, oh, this is a thing. And he said as soon as it came out, he became St. Bob. And yeah. he never just go back to being a, a pop singer again. And it's impossible to live up to those standards, especially when you just want to go make a record and get judged in the enemy again or Melody Maker. You know what I mean? You yeah. never. I can see what he says. His identity, who he was and who he is, was taken away by a very noble cause. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just an incredibly selfless act. He gave away the publishing to that song, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, yeah. so it's a uh, and it's also generated so much, you know, really helped, really Helped a lot of people. If you, you know, I have seen some documentaries on that as well. And it shows you where the money went, where the sources went. So there was a tangible effectiveness to what they did. And I think what makes the UK version so much better is when you have a cross-dressing transvestite pop star like Marilyn in your video, you're already going to win. You know, I, the one person no one knows with the red hair and the yellow thing and the pop, that's Marilyn. He was a, yeah. you know, uh, she was a, uh, yeah, very much in the, um, the pop star magazines of the time. Uh, and, you know, just the UK, just, they just look at things differently. They always have, you know. I ate that shit up because my dad, I remember, took a trip to Ireland when I was a little kid. And I asked him to bring me back some music magazines. And Doctor and the Medics was Doctor this the really Medics, big yeah. thing. Yeah, Spirit were, like, in the this, Sky. Spirit in you know, the like Sky. This, this uh, adamant derivative kind of thing picture adam yeah. and the adam and you're basically picturing doctor and the medics but it or was dead just or alive remember pete burns yes oh they sure, sure, sure. That, you spin me around thing. yeah and it was just uh it, i respond to larger than life pop stars and and i don't mind if my pop stars are a, a little bit ridiculous and yeah. so the 80s uk pop was tailor-made for me so i want to play a little bit we don't need to play we are the world but i do want to play a little bit of band-aid you may or may not know that there have been at least three versions of of band-aid do they know it's christmas they run this out every few years for another generation of uh of music fans and, and pop fans and the the second one came out i think it was only like five years after the original and did not attract quite the same caliber of, of star power <laughs> I don't know if you've heard like, this. Hold on. I'm Hold on, on one it, second. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Hold on. Is that Paul Young? Yeah. What do you have in there? I think I think you've got the idea. That might be Paul Young. I It sounds like every down. pop star from the 80s. You know what I mean? Uh, I, right. Oh, I really recommend. Maybe I'll post this link because it's just it, it, there's something about like when you watch Bono or name any superstar and they're doing their thing, you're like, yeah, that's their thing. But when you see somebody who was a massive success in their own right, but you've never heard of this person and you still see them. It's, yeah. it's, it's so much easier to just see what the eighties look was, what the eighties hand mannerisms were when you sing, what the eighties vocal ticks were when you see somebody who was at the top of their game and they were doing Coke and banging whoever they cared to bang. And they were very successful as well, but you don't know who this clown is. Right. You go, Oh boy, yeah. that's really what was going on in the eighties right there. It's very Godfather so the, three. 
You know what I mean? It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, I want this to be good, but it's just not. So the little section I shared with you featured the... I don't know what you call the singing style of it's not the harmony stylings of Bananarama since they always all sang the same note, but wow. that was Bananarama. And I don't know who the guy was. Uh, Kylie Minogue was featured on that. Technotronic made an appearance on Band Aid 2. Lisa Stansfield, who I have a bit of a Incredible spot, songwriter. Spot she's Chardet. She's, she's, yeah. yeah, she's amazing. And then it's, it always, it always looks like bros, but Bross. it's Bross. Bross. Yeah. Matt Goss. Bross was like a, Matt Goss a boy brother, band. you know, um, and Bross was the biggest thing in the world. If you went through red smash yeah. hits in the magazines that your dad probably brought back home, yeah. Ross is on the yes. cover every week. They were playing stadiums and then Matt Goss came out here and they tried to make it in Hollywood. His brother became kind of a, you know, working actor and Matt went out to Vegas and, and does like a Frank Sinatra show busy type thing. If you go to the Burbank airport and you're on the way to Vegas, you, you'd see like Matt Goss at the Caesars, you know? Um, but they were gigantic, huge, huge. Wham style huge, you know? <laughs> they were big. Wham big. That's right. <laughs> Wham. Back when that back when that really meant something. But we are the world and Band-Aid were not the only two all-star musical collaborations that came out in that exact same era. I, I think I'm correct on this to drum up some funds for that exact same Ethiopian famine cause. Now I expect you will Somewhere in the deep recesses of your mind, you will recall um, here and here and yeah. here and You kidding me? Of course, it's all the metal guys. Okay, so let's play everybody a little bit of this. This one. might be the worst one. <laughs> it, got Dio Beauty on is How'd in. You mess up with Dio? Beauty is is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, to me, this is just a Dio song with a bunch of other guys trying to be Dio. That's so if true. you don't like this, I, if you don't like this, I don't I don't see how you could like you Dio. Right. But if you like Dio, I feel like you should love this. I think people were so burned out. They were so charitable, caused out by this time. Hearing Aid was the last yeah. one to come out, I think. You know? Okay. Uh, so I think people are like, dudes, we've already done it. We've done it. We're, we've got nothing left. We appreciate you. Yeah. We get it. But you know what I mean? Hearing Aid had a isn't sad like quality an, to it to me. I don't, I don't know. Isn't there like an eight-minute version of this where just every guy got a guitar solo? Like George yeah. Lynch just played as many notes as he could pay. Paul play, Martin, then... George Lynch, Steve Vai, Satriani. Angve, Malmsteen. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, for, for people who don't know, here's Hearing Aid and We Are All Stars. Yep, you got Halford in there. You got, was it Kevin Dubrow? Yeah. Is that how you say his name? From Quiet Riot. Dio all over that. And it made me really miss Ronnie James Dio. When I, you forget, when I haven't heard Dio for a while, the power yeah. of that man's voice. The dude was five feet tall if he was an inch. And I know. Had yeah, this yeah, voice, no. and he never lost it. His last gig, he sounded like his first gig, mm -mm. you know? Halford's the same way. Uh, but man, what what a voice! He was a, he was a he was a magical heavy metal elf. You know that that song. It's also remember. You're right. It sounds like every song, like you know, it's it's a kiss song meets Dio in the middle of a you know a cause. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's better than I remembered it for so I, I, for some reason I didn't give it a chance back then. You know. 
It's fun. Again, if you like that stuff, why wouldn't you? Why yeah, wouldn't no, you're you right. Like you're that? right. Yeah. You're right. And then there's another one of these raising money for Ethiopia songs that I don't know how much of a dent it made south of the Canadian border. Gotcha. Yeah. This is called. We're going to hear Brian Adams, aren't we? You're good. You're good, Mark McGrath. <laughs> Hold on one sec. Last Tiger, Brian Adams. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't know where one ends and the next begins. Lover boy. Why do these songs have to be so cheesy? You know, I guess they do because they're trying to appeal to everybody. You know, they're almost like religious things. I feel like I was in church, you know? We yep. can bring the distance and everything, you know? But Dig deep, folks. Man, Canada, they had that Mr. Mr. Corey Hart laying down. You know, that, that guy with a little bit of distortion in his voice, non-threatening, very... Jamie Walters, 90210-ish appearance, you know, uh, they, they, they had that, they had a lock, you know? Let's see, Gordon Lightfoot, Ann Murray, Joni Mitchell, the the back-to-back-to-back that I think we enjoyed of Neil Young, Brian Adams, and Corey Hart. But they got, Neil, the- got Neil Young in there? That's the Bob Dylan score of that one, huh? And so the, and the Bob Dylan story with this one is he does his line and they go, uh, Neil, I think you may have been a little bit flat. Can we do that one again? And he goes, that's my thing, man. <laughs> By the way, I don't think Neil Young has ever been flat in his life. The guy's got such a beautiful high register. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I'm not. I'm. So are we hearing little... the Neil Young flat thing when we hear it? I, I guess we are. I, I'm a little pitchy myself, so I'm 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 not one to judge yet. Getty Lee of Rush in there, indeed. Mike from Loverboy. Tears are not enough. The Canadians for a cause. Yeah, I'm the last one to speak about Key. I've had an on-off relationship with Key my whole life, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, let's see. I got a few more of these. We can do all of these. Nobody can tell us to stop anymore. We're we're grown ups, and we can have candy for dinner if we. Yeah, we tell us like what it. to do, man. This is our house. It's we pay the bills. Brave. It's a brave new world. Um, voices that care is a thing that I don't think did much. Uh, had much of an effect. Again, this is a Gulf War thing in '91, if I'm not mistaken. In addition to whatever shortcomings this song and this project may or may not have possessed, I don't think they were... The Gulf War was very short. Well, in certain ways. The initial blast of the Gulf War was very short, and uh, by the time... The U.S. forces had already basically pulled out by the time this single came out. We just got a mix! We just got a mix! Hold on! (laughs) Can you just drop a couple of bombs? Okay, so check... uh, Let's see what we got here. Well, who are the players in this one, Tully? Is this a U.S. effort, strictly? Oh, okay. So the I don't, I'm not familiar see. with this one at all. Voices that care featured among many others: Randy Travis, Celine Dion, Peter Cetera, Bobby Brown, Janie Lane of Warrant, Luther Vandross, wow. Garth Brooks, Michael Bolton, Pointer Sisters, Little Richard again, Will Smith. 
I mean, they had people. huge names, and, and obviously got to play somewhere, you know. This has got a whopping 860,000 views on YouTube, and I think they even made it a, an all-star across the board thing. I think, like, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and uh, Dan Aykroyd were in the video as well. Do you remember this when you were younger? I do not. Okay. I do not have any recollection of this at all. Let's gotcha. see if this brings back any any memories for you. They were up against incredible odds with a war that was over and asking for funds. <laughs> Don't even fuck with Peter Cetera's voice, man. Wow. These are all these are all kind of the same song. We don't really need to listen to too much from, but that was the exact same feeling that I had. Now all this is is the this is the Carnival Cruise all you can eat buffet. <laughs> Go for it. No regard for your health or your weight. Have lobster tails dipped in chocolate sauce of pop singers that we have been enjoying over the course of this hour plus and who popped more than peter satara nobody it is fucking satara time when he comes in out of all these people if i'd listed all the people on all these songs and asked you to say who's the guy that's really going to strike you when we were talking about cindy lauper in favorable terms earlier i would have said luther luther vandross you know garth brooks you know what i mean you had a lot of great choices there satara you know belongs there but i wouldn't have said he would have popped and man when you hear him he must have brought his own producers in i mean just all of a sudden, yeah. he just gets so big. Well, okay, it was Peter Cetera's thing. I think he was one of the well, major people. Putting, do you think it's just that... <laughs> might have rotted, might have rotted his vocals a little bit in the mix. <laughs> everybody, everybody recorded with like an SM58. And <laughs> He's got <laughs> annoying in my... <laughs> the record plan. <laughs> well, he does have that. I don't know how many Peter Cetera's are singing when it's Peter Cetera. He does have a, an amazing voice and a unique vocal presence, but... He's got to be triple tracked. That's many Peter Cetera singers. I agree. It's just so big and the sound is so clear and rich. That's not one voice. So I've seen him live and he does no. do his thing, but it's not, you know, that is just that that could yeah. cut glass, that the, the precision and the clarity of that voice. Yep. Uh, we'll do three more of these. This is a very, very long song because of how much talent was involved with it. And um, with all due respect to people who have a much better uh, appreciation and understanding of West Coast hip hop history. I, I, I'm sorry if I did not pick the best part of we're all in the same gang. This was the Bloods and Crips thing. Dre does a beat. It's classic NWA era Dre with everybody doing a yeah, it. This is really big out here in LA. I remember this. And the, the video got a lot of run too, you know? Yeah. Michelle yeah, A yeah, sings so that we're all in the same gang, you know? Dr. Dre's she, wife at the time, I believe. Oh, no yeah, kidding. Yeah, now, is she. Is she like the I got a man lady? Like what? What else did she do? No, she she had um she has I'm like a, she has such an interesting voice I couldn't even uh, mimic it. But she had a song. Yeah. Uh, she had a hit song called uh, the Doctor Dre produced. I mean, you would know it if you heard it. She had a, a couple of yeah. hits. Then I think I think had a son with Dre. Had a child with Dre, and just kind of you know she still performs with these '90s you know reunion type things. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, the Dre connection is that was his first. That was his chick. Okay, we're all in the same gang uh, with Dr. Dre and a cast of thousands. 
You know, what's interesting about this, if I can qualify it before we, we begin it. Yeah. Much like the others we've heard, each rap guy is trying to outdo the other. For so sure. the, the raps are spectacular in this. They truly yep. are. Uh, from Dude, that, I forgot yeah. how good that song is, man. It's a Dre <laughs> beat, great? you know? Yeah, it's a good Dre beat. I mean, Digital Underground kills it right there. Money B yeah. and, and uh, uh-huh. Shock G, dude, or that little, like that little, and when when it goes into that Dre uh, effect, it's just, I mean, it's a great song, you know? And uh, as we all know, that was the beginning of the end for gang violence in Los Angeles. Yeah. As well, so. <laughs> Never to be heard of again. A nemesis completely yeah. eradicated from your streets. Some, someday I'll explain to my children that one day dangerous gangs roam the streets of the city in which he lives. We'll watch the movie Colors together and say this once happened. You know, <laughs> This really happened, believe it or not, based on a true story. <laughs> Uh, two more. These are not the big collaboration things. Um, uh, okay, I'm gonna play you this song, and you'll you'll, and then and then we'll talk about it. Are you familiar, Mark McGrath, with the Rod Stewart version of That's What Friends Are For? Uh, yes, I am. And what version was this? So that's that's Rod from the Night Shift movie soundtrack, originally recorded in 1982. I think it was thought of as a potential single. So I'm Night not Shift, familiar with it. I knew it existed. So, okay. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm not familiar with it. I knew it existed, though. Yeah, right. So Burt Bacharach wrote the song. I forget who his lyricist was at that point, not Hal David. And Night Shift, of course, the classic lighthearted comedy of Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton, two buddies down on their luck, run a prostitution ring out of a morgue. morgue. I I saw it recently, and I know you're sold on the premise, but believe it or not, it's actually a great movie. It's fun. fun. No, I I watched it recently, too, and this song plays in the closing credits. I remember going, what the fuck is that so i think they had the song and they thought it would be a single and at the last second the label got cold feet they thought it was too soft of a a sound for rod stewart to be inhabiting and so it was kicking around and dion warwick decides to record it and i don't recall that's what friends are for being a charity single but i think it was for AIDS I, I, I was gonna so say was, I, I think what yeah. when elton got involved that was his uh you know that's how that was his uh you know his uh, de- not demand, but that's what that was. Uh, what got him involved, you know. And so Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight as well. And I know it's cheesy as all fuck, but I got emotional watching a performance. Elton was not there, but it was maybe the Grammys, and it's Burt Bacharach on piano, and it's Dion, Gladys, and Stevie. Just, it's not a great song. It's not a whole lot better than We Are the World. I but think it just- is. Okay, it hits my so strings hard. It's my heartstrings hard. Yeah. Something really great about. Okay, it. no, I. 
I was, I was, I was, I was being too quiet. Well, I, 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 safe place. You're yeah. in the nest, Tully. You know that. It's a great song, and this live performance. I'll tweet that out as well. It's. It's pretty stunning, even if you don't like the song, to see the three of them going for it. Can I tell you one of my greatest? Now, I may live to have far greater regrets about no longer working for Sirius XM, but can I tell you, can I tell you something that happened a week ago? I had scheduled an interview for this show with Dionne Warwick. You're kidding me. I am a extremely big Dionne Warwick fan. And I think oh. for people who haven't spent a lot of time with her music, that might sound like a silly thing to say, but I got into the Bacharach stuff, you know, walk on by, say a little prayer. Do you know the way to say Jersey? And then I'm realizing that she's got this second run in the late seventies, early eighties with heartbreaker. If you don't get emotional when you hear, I I'll, I know I'll never love this way again. Well, that's fine. I, I understand it's very schmaltzy, but I find it to be a very powerful song. Even but heartbreaker too, written by the Bee Gees, which yeah, is like that song. Mm -hmm. will make me a puddle of tears crying, you know? It's incredible. I wanted to ask her about, there's just one line in the second verse that is just such a fucking tour de force of the way, I don't even know what the words are. She does so many things in one line, but it's not showy at all. It's just so incredible, and I don't reasonably- In Heartbreaker or-, uh, or In uh, Heartbreaker, in Heartbreaker, it's second verse. Um, you My love is stronger than the universe. universe. The next one. So beautiful. I just sat here with, with the night before I was supposed to talk to her with, you know, the kids around and, and my wife was doing her work on her computer. And I'm just like, watch this YouTube clip. Watch this YouTube clip. She's amazing. She started off with this very small talk singy kind of thing with the, the Burt Bacharach stuff. And had the chops to do like Celine Dion kind of stuff. Like I'll never love this way again, but you watch videos. She never appears to be straining to sing in the slightest. Dion Warwick is like 80 years old. I don't know exactly what I was going to get out of an interview with her, but I was still incredibly, ex especially over zoom, but I was incredibly excited to talk to her. It didn't work out. I think she had some trouble getting on zoom. There was nobody there to help her. They call people say, can we just do it over the phone? I'm not equipped to do a phone interview here. Right. I really like doing phone interviews anyway. Uh. But I just, I said, hey, Dionne Warwick, I'll do whatever she wants. Cool, let's, I'll figure out a way to record. I'll stick the mic up to my phone. We'll do it. And and I want to help her promote her thing that she's doing. And I will promote, she's got a, a at home with Dionne Warwick Zoom hangout thing that she's doing on like December 10th, if anybody's interested. And I said yes and nothing happened. And I finally, you know, my days are very busy. Kids are home, coronavirus, whatever. At a certain point, I was like, I just, I haven't heard from her. I can't do it. Can we reschedule? And they said, yeah, we'll reschedule. Don't worry. The thing's not for a couple weeks. I go upstairs, I get in the shower and I come downstairs and I have a missed call. And I'm, I'm from New Jersey and she lives in New Jersey. I know the area code. Whoa. So. Oh. And I could have, so I, I could have called her back. Yeah, it's gone. I could have called her back and I was like, you know, I didn't want to do it on the phone anyway. And I've already, my wife's been very patient waiting for me to do a 30 minute interview that's now, we're over an hour of waiting, even waiting for it to start. And they <sighs> said, don't worry, we'll just reschedule. And that missed call from. That, I mean, yeah, yeah, life's yeah. about opportunities, dude. You yeah, know, and, yep. and I'm so glad you're a fan of hers because she, she is amazing. And, and not, yeah. you know, not, not to be cheesy or anything, but I, I did Celebrity Apprentice and Dionne Warwick was one of the contestants. And the night before we started, she goes, yeah, I'm performing out at the, uh, uh, what's that theater named after like uh, Cole Porter or something? There's a theater out there in Jersey. Uh, it's, no, it's at Red Bank. Uh, Red Red Banks or what, what am I talking and, about? Uh, I, 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 I feel like Red Bank Arena comes to mind, but okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was like about. a Red Banks, New Jersey or something. We went out there and yeah, uh, John Jersey. Rich, John Rich goes, I got a limousine, come on. So me, John Rich and Meatloaf went out and saw Dionne Warwick perform. This was, you know, in 2010 and dude, 
she hit every one of these songs, every note. She was 70 then. I know. I mean, she was 70 then, dude, and she was spot on. So still be performing today. And you're you so correct in your, like, assessment of her. She did start out a little, like, say a little breath for you, really high register, almost like, wow, that's all you got? And in the 70s, she went to this, like, you know, I know I'll never, like, really, like, what an incredible and, and such a lovely, graceful lady. I'm so glad I got to know her. I got to know her for a little bit. She's wonderful. She was the first one fired, but other than that. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's local to Jersey. She's played at like a park one town over from my parents. They've gone to see Dionne Warwick in the park, and I, I regret that I haven't seen her, and I don't know that I will be able to, and I definitely regret because I I mean, I don't know how deep she was. She's, I'm sure, very tired of talking about Burt Bacharach's songs, and I don't expect anybody to recall the real intimate details of things that they did 55 years ago, but I was I had questions for Dionne Warwick, that's for sure. But my experience it, with it, her is it, that she's very generous and, and you know puts out a facade a little bit, you know. Yeah. But if she respects you and you hit the right buttons, you know, which you would have totally, she would have, you know, been a flowing fountain of information. I fucking knew it. I knew for it. Because sure. I know sometimes you gotta do the question up front that you're not even all that interested of in just to, est- just to establish the credibility. And why would Dion Warwick think that look at me, I'm sitting here in a television t shirt in an eight year old's bedroom. Why would she think that I am a a, a huge fan? But I, I felt like I could establish that credibility. And yeah. also I don't think that she, if you get her going, would be shy about I don't want to say shit talking, but She'll tell you what she really thinks. She about definitely does things. that. You're completely right about that. And I, 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 I sound like I'm not the ambassador to Dion Warwick, but I've spent 12 hours in a room with her for like a week and a half. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she has no problem saying she doesn't like that. She likes this. I, you know, yeah. so you're right. She has opinions on things. She has on the record as disliking most of her hit songs. Do you know what I, I didn't, um, you know, what what I didn't real, know. real quick to sit to stop. That's fine. If you don't like that. You know, yeah. don't break the audience's hearts. You know, I, I learned that. I stopped telling people years ago what the lyrics meant because people got bummed out because they thought it meant something else to our songs. Yeah. Don't say you don't like some of your hits. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's sort of demeaning a little bit to the audience. You know, yeah. you just, just... I get that. Yeah, I, 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 songs I like more. You know what I mean? Because you're so lucky to have an audience, which she has an amazing one. By the way, it's the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. That's exactly right. You're absolutely oh, right. Yep. It was driving me crazy. Uh, so, uh, so that's my little thing. I just, that, that's not particular Dion Warwick. I've heard a lot of people do that. Like yeah. when crazy town used to play butterfly first and say, let's just get this over with. Yeah. You know, oh, that like, I can't, that, that oh, I can't. Okay. Stand. Watch us all run for the doors. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Mike. Not at all. Um, I have, uh, I have one more song by the instrumentation. I will be curious to see if you can guess the artist. This is an artist whose sound went through at least one or well i'd say two big permutations and this is the the sort of final form of his pop hit making sound even before he starts singing okay. if there's any instrumentation before he starts singing Sounds like a soundtrack like Weekend at Bernie's 8, okay? And the saddest thing is like when a production takes away from the genius of a man. It's Stevie Wonder, obviously. Well, nobody made Stevie Wonder make it sound like that. No, I understand, for sure. This is my point. And by the way, that was like on 
point for that 85 to 87, or let's say 84 to 87 sort of aesthetic. But man, when you hear Stevie come in with that Motown voice with this, yeah. you know, Revenge of the Nerds kind of production, it really just <laughs> shatters the myth for me. It was that that was a cause song? That song is entitled Don't Drive Drunk. I feel like shit now. Guess, <laughs> guess what it's about? Yeah. From the Woman in Red soundtrack. Wow. Yeah. Giant movie. Sounds like sounds like somebody wanted to put Stevie Wonder's name on the soundtrack cover. Well, actually, it says music produced by Stevie Wonder. Maybe he produced the soundtrack but insisted on this public service message to fans of Gene Wilder, Kelly LeBrock movies. I, who knows? I, you know, look, money talks. You know, who knows who offered him what and where point he was and how many divorces he'd been through. But I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> this. You go from my Sharia more to that. Yeah. It's yeah, I know it's for a cause. I get it. And look, Stevie Wonder probably yeah. freestyled that. You know what I mean? You know, he, yes. Uh, he probably went in there and did it quickly. Um, but it's a little disheartening to me that that's part of the legacy. But like, looks, man, everybody's everybody's got their thing. And Todd, I'm surprised mm-hmm. no farm aid snuck its way into this. Uh... Oh, right. That's true. Was there a farm aid? There is. There were farm aid albums. Yeah, there's farm aid. I think there's a farm aid song. I believe there is. And you know, farming is still yeah. going on. They still do it every year. I know. Isn't that crazy. Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson, man, him and him and Dolly Parton. We should just put them in charge of uh, everything. Of everything. I mean, I, I totally agree. Do- everything Dolly Parton does is, is gold. Gold. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's all I got before I let you go. Thank you, as always, for being here. You got uh, Mark McGrath's 120 on the 90s on 9 on Sirius XM, and Sugar Ray will rise again. Yes, I hope so. I, I look forward to it. Uh, I always enjoy hearing from everybody, by the way. I try to respond as much as I can because the people that respond love music like you and I do, Tully. So it's fun to kind of have a little yep. repartee, if you will. So I'm at Mark McGrath, yep. uh, at Mark underscore McGrath on Twitter. And uh, the real Mark McGrath on Instagram. Beautiful. All right, we'll do this again soon. Yeah, totally be good, man. Lots of love to you, brother. Thank you, buddy.